Some people have a way of dropping the most important and magnificent information into your life. And they do it with ease and grace and gentleness that lets you know you are loved as you're learning. The guest I have on the show today is one such person. Join for a conversation today with Dewey Krause about self-compassion and why it matters. Does your child have a speech-language delay and you really want them to talk? Do difficult behaviors derail home life and you know the frustration is a communication struggle? Does your child see a speech therapist and you wonder, what do they do and how can I help? If these or similar questions are in your mind, this podcast is for you. Hello, my name is Dina Lynn Rosenbush. I am a speech-language pathologist that has worked with children from birth to 21 for three decades. And in my classrooms, I see you wanting to connect with the heart of your child, but their speech and language skills create a barrier. So if you have a kiddo that has difficult behaviors, needs to expand their language, or learn to say speech sounds, and maybe even receives speech therapy, stay tuned, because In this podcast, you will learn how to use your daily life as a tool to communication practice and how to do that practice. You will become confident knowing you are making the difference you want to make. And you will hear success stories of parents who have navigated these struggles already. We'll do this all while focusing on building deep, meaningful connection and confidence in your kiddo. So grab a cup of coffee, along with a notebook and pen. It's time to speak in the way your child's brain understands. And that is the language of play. Welcome back. If you are interested in this topic today, see the show notes for episodes that are similar. Today, you will get to hear from Dewey Krause, the first in a lineup of amazing guests on the language of play this Uh, 2024. Dewey is a longtime friend. We lived across the street as neighbors. We met when she was pregnant with her first child, and I had a one and two-year-old. We became fast friends. In fact, our families became fast friends. We raised our children together, questioning what in the world is going on. Together, we did this. And I remember sitting on her couch one morning as we watched one of the kids in a tantrum. We both have our behavioral science interest, so we studied the kids together. Um, I might say, tell me what he does when I go out of sight, and what do you see his motivation might be, and other similar questions. Dewey has been a solid friend, support, and a source of education for me for 26 years. She is a wealth of wisdom, as you will see in this episode today. As parents, it is really easy to fault ourselves. When our kids are confusing, we often tell ourselves that we should know this or why can't I figure this out? We shame on ourselves for not knowing or doing better, thinking that everything that goes wrong with our children is our fault. When in actuality, they are their own person from birth. Ah, well, and those of us as pregnant, we we know that they act different even in the womb, so we know that they are different from one another since before birth. We haven't learned how they learn yet. 
We are a work in process, raising a work in process. They will make a mess and we will make a mess. One of the first steps in cleaning up the mess is self-compassion. In today's episode, we will learn from Dewey about self-compassion. What are the skills of self-compassion and why does it matter? Hello, Language of Play family. Uh, thank you for being here today. Today, I have one of my best friends ever. She and I have raised our children together. We lived across the road. When we had troubles, we would walk over to each other's house with partial meals and say, what are we going to put together today? <laughs> so we go back to when our children were small and we struggled through behaviors and the all the things you're dealing with. And we did it together as much as we could. And it was so beneficial. She's gone on to start her clinical career in the early 90s. And I remember that mm -hmm. because we were talking about the things that you were learning. And mm -hmm. I learned a tremendous amount at that time, too. She was a music therapist. And her interest in pursuing graduate work was spurred by the desire to gain expertise in a broader range of treatment modalities, as well as her strong interest in clinical psychology. Her advanced study of marriage and family therapy was strength, strengthened her skills and passion for seeing patients in the context of their family system. And she believes in the power that relationships have in the healing process. She's worked in long-term care, inpatient, mental and chemical health care, corrections, dual disorders, day treatment, school-based mental health care, and outpatient mental health care. And I can remember so many conversations as you were going through these different phases of your career. Mm -hmm. Would you like to tell our audience what it is you're doing now? Right. So I'm my parenting journey. I am officially an empty nester. <laughs> and um, my husband and I have been married for nearly 30 years. I have way too many pets. So that's my personal life. Professionally, uh, I work for um, Prairie Care of Southeast Minnesota. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And my role at Prairie Care is twofold. One is that I work in the adult partial hospitalization program. And I also have part of my practice in the outpatient psychotherapy clinic. So that's what I do currently. That's a lot of big words. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. And unless, like, it makes sense to me only because you and I have talked about what it is that you do mm -hmm. over the years as you've gained these different skills. Mm -hmm. um, when I think about the parents that listen to this podcast, mm -hmm. I always go back to what you taught me initially was healing happens in relationship. Right. And I remember being astounded by learning that when my kids were, well, when I had gone through my divorce mm -hmm. and your words to help us navigate that really kept coming back to that idea of healing happens in relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so can you expand a little bit on that? Right. So um, one of the most important theoretical concepts of our time is the work that was done in the 50s and 60s on attachment theory, right? So we know that human beings are um, made to thrive in relationship. In fact, we don't survive, literally, mm -hmm. if we don't, aren't cared for, when, and children um, won't thrive if they don't have skin-to-skin -skin contact, and that they are 
smiled at and played with. And then when they're asked for their needs to be met, that you as a caregiver are characterized by meeting those needs generally. So as a species, we need relationship. And so it makes sense to me that when we're hurting, that relationship is probably one of the most important things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And we do that in our parenting. And as a therapist, that's one of the things that I think I have to do with my patients if I want them to get better is to build relationship. How do you do that? Uh, listening. Mm -hmm. It becomes an art. Yes. I think listening is probably the most important thing and validating someone's experience. I remember learning like about listening at a deeper level as you and I mm -hmm. would talk about some of your schooling <laughs> mm -hmm. and realizing how that validation process mm -hmm. was what made the difference mm -hmm. in listening versus just hearing. Yeah. Yeah. And when I talk about connection, mm -hmm. I'm talking also about listening, mm -hmm. being a good listener. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you're talking about validating somebody you're listening to, we also, as parents, have an awful lot of internal judgment about what it is that we're doing, whether that judgment comes from our own parents or whether that judgment comes from our personal expectations of ourselves. How do you think that parents can like validate themselves? I think the first part of that is, I mean, I think about having good friends. That's, yeah, like you. <laughs> right, because part of what having relationships and um, parenting alongside other people, whether that be a spouse or a relative or a neighbor, um, is that you can see that you're normal. Mm -hmm. So you can see that um, everybody has these kind of struggles and that there isn't, parents aren't perfect. And um, that, you know, working toward validation means first you recognize that what I'm experiencing is average. So children, you know, I think I had this false idea when I had children that my kids would go through childhood and into adulthood and never have a problem. Well, I was wrong. Yeah. Real wrong. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> really wrong. And I don't think that, I'm sure parts of it had to do with my parenting, but most of it didn't. Most of it had to do with who they were created to be genetically, personality-wise, and as well as what the plan was for their story and what they um, needed as human beings to be able to do what they're supposed to do in life. When you say it wasn't probably your parenting, Mm -hmm. Are, can you expand more? Because I know that that critical voice mm -hmm. is so prevalent. Like mm -hmm. when our kids were smaller and then when they hit the mm -hmm. teen years, mm -hmm. that voice can be so mm -hmm. loud right. that we can't help but to blame ourselves. Mm -hmm. And how can you say that it's not part of your parenting? I mean, to be honest, I do think I'm to blame for some of the things that my kids might struggle with. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's on such a micro level. Because... Um, their story mm -hmm. is unfolding in its own way. Yeah, I think one of the mistakes we can make is to see ourselves as the same as our kids because of that attachment, right? So it's easy to not understand that you end and they begin and they're a different person mm -hmm. and you're not the same person. They carry a similar genetic code. It's not the same. Different things are 
are are turned on in their genetics that aren't about you. Um, you can see things that you did a lot of work to mitigate that you knew were part of genetically and personality wise that you can't mitigate because that's just going to get expressed in them. Um, am I answering your question or getting uh, at that? Absolutely. Because what I wanted to get at was, was the idea that all of us judge ourselves and blame ourselves as if we are creating these little people. Um, and we are causing at times mm -hmm. the results we have. And sometimes it's not like that, but yet, remembering that they are who they are and we are doing the best we can with mm -hmm. what we have mm -hmm. and the personality of them and their immature brain mm -hmm. means that they are at a different place in space than we are right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like we need to give them credit for being who they are. Mm -hmm. And even though we as parents make mistakes along the way, mm -hmm. all of that can be overcome by building that relationship mm -hmm. so that it becomes about relationship rather than about obedience or about mm -hmm. a particular skill at a particular time mm -hmm. that parents tend to shame themselves for. Yeah. I think overall, and I was just um, talking about this with my patients on Friday, what the research shows is that overall, when you get into spending a lot of your time judging right, wrong, good, bad, beautiful, ugly, all those black and white ideas, generally you're going to be less psychologically healthy. Mm. You'll have a lot, lot more angst. It creates a lot of anxiety in you when you feel like you have to meet a certain right, wrong, mm. uh, good, bad um, outcome. So one of the things we teach, and this gift comes from Marshall Linehan's work in dialectical behavior therapy, is to recognize that the less judgment that we're doing, and the more we can see that two things that seem like opposites can both be true at once, that's what the word dialectical means, the healthier we're going to be. So I think that's what we're talking about with parenting, is that we don't hold so tightly to judging ourselves or making mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, that we can, at the very same time, know that, ooh, I'm not really proud of what just happened in the last hour, that I also, at the same time, know that that doesn't mean my child is going to, you know, turn out to be a, an awful citizen or human being. That, um, and Nor it, does it mean that you are an awful citizen right. or human being. Exactly. And I think that getting into that judging yourself and judging your child is really kind of a good place to to start as a basis if I can let go of some of those judgments of myself and my child that um, you can probably um, feel less anxiety in your parenting and, you know, more is caught than taught in parenting. Your child will feel your anxiety so and your judgment of yourself. Um, so what it sounds like you're really talking about is self-compassion. That's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Explain yep. how people can be compassionate with themselves. Um, self-compassion is a really, really old concept. It, the academic work, I'm, I'm really passionate about self-compassion. So I, I've done a lot of work on really understanding it academically as a therapist. So the academic work on this was done in the United States by Kristen Neff, and she is a professor at the University of Texas. 
She does a lot of really good work in this area. If you have interest in exploring this more, her website's fantastic. It's selfcompassion.org. Really simple. She has a lot of exercises in there, and you can read her academic research or some of more of the lay literature that she's um, published. And she says that self-compassion is broken down into three pretty simple concepts. The first concept is that we need to be mindfully aware that we're in pain or that we're struggling or that somehow this is difficult for us. Mm. So it's the saying, oh, that was really hard. Or wow, this is a moment of pain in my life Mm. and being aware. Okay. We're not aware. We can't do much more with it, of course. The second part is to recognize that this is common to all humanity. That if we're talking about parents specifically here, all parents go through hard times and all children have things that they present to us that make parenting more difficult. And part of that difficulty, I think, is that they aren't adults. And so they do things that are confusing to us or don't make sense. And <laughs> um, and they yes. act very childish. Yeah. And it that's common to all of us that we struggle with that. It's common that we have parenting anxieties or that we get angry, common that we all need breaks once in a while. So recognizing that common humanity is step two. And then the third part of self-compassion is to approach yourself in a kind-hearted and open way. So let's walk through what that might look like in a, in a parenting struggle. I'm remembering a time when I took my then five, six-year-old, who at the time I did not know who had inattentive ADHD, and I knew very little about ADHD. And one of the components of it is that people who have ADHD have a really hard time regulating their emotions. And so I had a six-year-old who wanted to go cross-country skiing with me, wanted to learn, and didn't want to take her skis off, but the whole time was crying and throwing a fit. And mindful, my mindful awareness of that moment for myself was that, wow, this is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I really look like a bad parent here with this um, child who's essentially having a tantrum through the whole skiing trip. So I was, that's mindful awareness that Oof, this is really hard and embarrassing. The second part of that would be for me to say to myself, you know, all parents go through hard times, and this is just part of sometimes how kids try to communicate. Mm-hmm. So this is really common to all of us. I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. And then the third part of it would be to be kind to myself. And so it might be an internal question that I would say, what would help right now? What do you need? Um, so, you know, that could have been anything from saying to the friend that was with me, oh, this is really hard, so that I could get some support or validation from her, or um, taking the child in my arms and hugging her and saying, you know, we don't have to finish. How about we go back and get some hot chocolate? Because that's also a kindness to myself to sort of end the chaos and the craziness so I could help her calm down. When you take those beats, the step back, it's easier for you to be able to respond in ways that later you're proud of and that mm-hmm. actually works. I love these tips. I think that this might be the gem from this episode. 
And I want to recap those for our mm -hmm. listeners. So first, when we're talking about self-compassion, we're first remembering that what's going on is normal. And this is okay to normalize this whole experience of it being hard because there's lots of hard that comes mm -hmm. and goes. So first mm -hmm. it's normal. And then that's part of mindful awareness. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you have to just be mindfully aware in this moment, I am struggling. Yeah. Okay. And then the second one is um, that we are open hearted mm -hmm. and that uh, towards ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote down kind to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we've got the awareness, we've got the normalizing, we've got the open hearted. Mm -hmm. And I see it as the kindness almost as like a step beyond being open-hearted. Like the open-hearted is our attitude and the kindness is our action. Right. Okay. It's easy to beat yourself up. Oh my goodness, yes. So I could have in that moment given myself like an internal verbal lashing, like, oh, you don't know what you're doing. You're a terrible parent. This child's out of control. Why didn't you work on this better? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you? Those are some of Unfortunately, it's really common for us to talk to ourselves that way. So self-compassion offers us an alternative. And um, Dr. Neff's work and research clearly shows that um, self-flagellation and beating yourself up does not work. You don't get the outcomes you think you're going to get from it, which we think it leads us to do better. It doesn't. That's a huge. I think I want to have you back on the podcast again. Talk about that mm -hmm. how it is that we tend to think that that self-talk that's negative is going to create better parenting better kids better behavior but it doesn't mm -hmm. that's another topic mm -hmm. and i would love to talk to you about that if you'd be willing to come back sometime i would okay so thank you so much for your time today my pleasure i am so glad you're here and i think that i always learn so much when i talk with you and i'm so glad that you're my friend yeah, I'm glad you're my friend too. Thanks. Hey parents, I hope you found this episode helpful. If so, would you please take 30 seconds and share it with a friend who also lives or works with children? I would really appreciate it if you would leave a quick review for the show on Apple Podcasts. I read every review and it lights me up to know that this show is making a difference. Then come join my Facebook community, where you'll meet other parents who are dedicated to helping their children grow too. You'll find the link in the show notes. Thank you for joining me. Now it's time to go. Let's pop our kiddos in the strollers and go look around outdoors and see what we have to talk about.